Hey, we are continuing on our series today on the book of Genesis. Let me ask you a question. Now, maybe, maybe my family is the only one like this, but have you ever been returning from a family reunion? You know, one of those where you have like all of the massive extended family and you wonder if you were just watching a movie or maybe watching a soap opera? Have you ever, have you, does anybody else have a family like that? No? Okay, I'm the only weird one here. Well, many of us have families that have a lot of dysfunction in them. And sometimes, you know, that's just the way it kind of runs. But today we're going to be looking at a story that kind of is similar to that. And I, I keep thinking that maybe I should use this for every point. When I say the point, we play this. You know, give a little dramatic flair for that, but I won't do that. But today we're going to be looking at uh, Isaac's dysfunctional family. We have a tendency sometimes to look at these Old Testament heroes of the faith and we think, man, we just put them up on this pedestal. Look at these, these really you know, heroes. Look how faithful they were. Look how wonderful they were. Not perfect, but they were just really awesome. What we're going to see today in Genesis chapter 27, it kind of reads like a soap opera or a TV movie. There's drama. There's deception. There's rage, manipulation, and even the plotting of a murder all in one chapter in the Old Testament. Now, this help, might help you think next time you leave your family reunion, you know, we're not quite as messed up as I thought, you know, a little bit of a different perspective. Or maybe Isaac's family was just as messed up as we are and just as human as we are. Now, last week we saw that Esau and Jacob, twin sons, they were the twin sons of, of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Isaac he favored Esau. He loved him more because he was a manly man. Remember the picture I showed you of the manly man last week? And he was the firstborn of the two twins. And Rebecca, she favored Jacob. She loved him the most. He was kind of a mama's boy. He was the chosen one by God's just providence. He was the chosen one of God to carry on the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of God to Abraham and his descendants. Now, that was a little bit unusual because it almost always fell to the firstborn son. Now, Jacob had just purchased from his brother Esau his birthright, which means basically he was entitled to double portion in the inheritance. And he bought it with a bowl of soup and some bread. Esau came back from hunting. He was hungry. He said, oh, my gosh, I'm starving. He was a little dramatic, you know. I'm starving. I need something to eat. Jacob said, hey, I'll give you a bowl of soup. Give me your birthright. And he sold it to him. But this birthright didn't necessarily carry with it the blessing of the covenant, which Esau still had a legal right to being the firstborn son. God had chosen Jacob over Esau. For whatever reason, we don't know. Just God gets to do what God wants to do, folks. I mean, we gotta, that's one thing I'm telling you, if you. Through this series in Genesis, if you don't figure out that God gets to decide what he wants to do, I don't know if you'll ever get it. We've we got to get that here. But God had chosen Jacob to bear the covenant, not Esau. And so I want you to see here in this chapter that some of the members of this family are a little bit messed up. They are just a little bit dysfunctional. And it starts with Isaac's intended disobedience. Now, I specifically chose those words because, listen, all of us, let's just admit the fact that we're all human. We all sin. We all commit errors uh, in our judgment. We all make mistakes. And we do things that displease God, which are not just mistakes, they're sins. But few of us, hopefully, uh, intend that. We don't sit around and plan it. 
We don't decide over days or weeks or months, hey, I'm going to do something wrong next year, and I'm going to decide to do this now, and I'm going to live up to it, and I'm going to choose something wrong. It's coming up. I'm intentionally doing that. But look what it says in Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 4. Remember, before Esau and Jacob were even born, it was told to them that Jacob would be the one to carry the blessing. Here's what it says. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Did you hear that last part? So that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac was determined to pass on the covenant blessing to Esau contrary to God's word. He'd known that it was already decided this, and God had already said that to them. This was his favorite son. We don't know exactly what uh, Isaac's motive was, but we definitely know that he was his favorite son. Perhaps he just decided, I'm going to do something against God's will because I love him more. We don't know. But the giving of the blessing was associated with a meal all the time. Every time there was some kind of passing on of a blessing, uh, the passing on of, of some kind of a intentional, you know, down-the-line blessing, it was associated with a meal. Now, normally, these kind of meals were very public. They threw a party. It's kind of like a birthday or an anniversary. They're going to have the passing down of the blessing party. And they're going to invite everybody around and they're going to have a big party. And then at some point, the father would get up and proclaim the blessing on the son. But here we see that Isaac wanted to do all of this in private. Why? Why was he dispensing the blessing in private? Because he knew he was wrong. He knew he was doing something contrary to what God had already stated. He was in deliberate defiance of God's spoken word. Now, we look at Isaac and we go, wow, he's one of the patriarchs, man. He had it all together. He didn't have it all together. He's a lot like us. He's got a little bit of it together and not so much sometimes. But uh, hopefully Isaac is the only one in his family that has these kind of problems, right? Well, unfortunately, Rebecca, his wife, she has an intentional manipulation. Rebecca's going to intentionally manipulate the situation. This is kind of a long passage, but it's in story form, and I didn't want to rob you of some of the understanding, so so stay with me. I'll read fast, you listen fast, and we're going to read verses 5 through 17. Here's what it says. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. He was obviously a barbecue lover, probably from Kansas City. (laughs) And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. 
in the number two categories, okay? Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats he put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had, she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Wow. She overhears this conversation, what Isaac tells Esau to do, and she immediately jumps into gear. She says, this is our chance. This is our chance to do this. She decided to send Jacob in disguise, to, in disguise as Esau to steal away the blessing. She wasn't trusting God to work things out for himself. She was determined to make God's will happen one way or another and even to lie to accomplish it. Folks, listen, the end never justifies the means. It just doesn't. If there's something in the future and you say, hey, I gotta do this really bad thing, but it'll turn out really good in the end. Listen, God doesn't want us to live that way. If you have axioms in your life, I, I have about uh, 10 or 12 axioms that I say like all the time. And one of my axioms is the right thing is always the right thing. The wrong thing is never the right thing and the right thing is never the wrong thing. The right thing is always the right thing. Now she was right there disagreeing with her husband. He wanted to disobey God. She says, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure we don't disobey God. But she was terribly wrong by lying and manipulating him to do what she knew was the right thing in the end. Now, this is gonna have severe con consequences for her, folks. We're not gonna talk about those yet. We'll get there. This is gonna have severe consequences for her because she chose to do something outside of God's will to try and deceive her husband. Well, mom and dad are messed up. Isaac's disobeying God. Rebecca, mom, she's trying to manipulate dad and manipulate the situation. Can it possibly get any worse? Well, Jacob deceives his father. We see Jacob's deception of his father. Look in verses 18 through 29. She gave him the plan. She helped him put it together. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Wow, he even uses God as his excuse. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He, Esau apparently had a really hairy problem, you know, like goats. He felt like a goat. He needed some electrolysis or something, I don't know. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. 
He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So here we see that Jacob intends to deceive his father and he does that very thing. Now, I remember when I first read this as a teenager, I thought, well, man, my, if my mom told me to do something like that, I, you know, I'm supposed to obey my mother. I probably, you know, it's kind of a moral dilemma there. Do I obey mom or do I do what I think is the right thing to do? Okay, he was not a 14-year-old, folks. At this point, uh, Jacob was probably around 77 years old. <laughs> okay, he's not a teenager being told to do something by his mommy that he can't uh, stop from doing. He was a willing party in this. He was a very willing participant. He had no doubt been told about the prophecy, but he still resorted to deceiving his father to get what God had said was rightfully going to be his. Jacob will also have some severe consequences in the end. But we don't see Rebekah and Jacob, either one, saying, oh God, uh, don't let Isaac do this thing. God, we trust you. God, we put it in your hands. God, you can do this without our help they chose to take some kind of measure to force what was God's will. Let me tell you something, folks. I've learned a few things in uh, all of my days. God just doesn't need my help. Now, he has certain things that he wants me to do. He has certain things that he wants me to, to be and how he wants me to interact with people and how to speak to people. But when I feel like I'm defending God, listen, I don't have to defend God. He's, he's big enough to defend himself, let me tell you. Okay? And, and here we see that they both decided God somehow needs their help. So we see that Isaac's kind of messed up, Rebecca's messed up, and now their son Jacob is messed up too. Esau is the only hope that somebody in this family is sane, right? But what we see is Esau's unholy rage against Jacob. Look at verses 30 through 41. Look what happens when Esau finds out what has transpired. He says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out, of the, out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Had no idea what had happened. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. 
Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow reckless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, if there was any last hope for somebody in this family being right before God, it wasn't going to happen with Esau. He despised his birthright and he sold it for a bowl of soup. And now, when it comes to his blessing, he is furious that he didn't get what was never going to be his anyway. In fact, he's so angry now at his own twin brother that he is ready to commit his murder. He's saying, listen, I'm not going to kill him now. I'm going to let, dad, I'm going to let you just get older. And when dad dies, then it's time. When dad's gone and he doesn't have to see this, he doesn't have to deal with this, I'm going to take my brother's life, my twin brother's life. I will kill Jacob. Now, folks, these folks are dysfunctional. <laughs> this is a very dysfunctional family, but let's just be honest for a minute, perhaps not as dysfunctional or not any more dysfunctional than some of us are. We have problems and issues in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, and many times we don't handle them correctly. Many times we don't pray and ask God to intervene. We don't have good and right relationships or conversations. We choose somehow to pursue an unholy path to getting our way, to doing what we want, and to try and make someone else be who we want them to be. But folks, there are always consequences to our sin. Let's look at just a, the tip of the spear of what the consequences of their sin was. Look at verses 42 through 46. It says, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now Esau had already married two Hittite women against God's word, against God's will. 
And now she says, because uh, uh, your brother is gonna kill you, Jacob, you gotta run, you gotta go. Isaac disobeyed God and wound up giving the blessing of the covenant to his other son instead of his favorite, which he was gonna have to do anyway. Rebecca deceived her husband with Jacob's help and had to send Jacob away to basically protect his life from his brother. But here's the thing. When she sent him away, you saw in that passage, she said, I'll send you away, and when your brother gets over it, when things kind of die down a little bit, I'll send for you and you can come back. The problem was she did send him away, and we're going to see later that she never saw him again because before things could die down, before she could call for him to come back, she dies. And so she sent her son away and never saw him again. Jacob never saw his mother again. There are two major points of application. There's probably about 50 total. But two major points of application I want us to see this morning as we look at this Old Testament historical event that happened. The first one is this. Do not act in conflict with God's grace because we may not be able to take it back before the consequences befall us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, folks, I would like for all of us to just wake up every morning and say, listen, I'm going I'm to be as godly as I can today because I just love Jesus. I sang these songs. I remember what he has done for me. I remember who he has been to me. And just because of my sheer love and, and, and gratefulness, because he showed me his mercy and his love, I am just going to live my life for him. I would love for us to all be so holy and so pure that we're just motivated that way. That'd be awesome. I don't know about you. That works for me some days. Doesn't work always. But we have to understand that sin has consequences. We don't always see them right away and they aren't always external. They don't always come out, you know, for everybody to see, but they're still there. A family squabble results in people not speaking for weeks or months or years and one of the family members dies before apologies can be made. Folks, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. A young couple lives together before being married and they struggle with guilt the rest of their lives because of their sexual promiscuity. Folks, that's terrible. It's not God's plan or what God wants. There are a thousand different circumstances on the planet. We choose to live in contradiction to them sometimes, contradiction to God's word and what God has already expressed to us as his will. And there are consequences that fall on us that sometimes we just can't undo. Now, now sometimes we can be sorrowful for our behavior and repent and go the other way. If I offend somebody and I act like a jerk to them, there are many times when I can go to them and I can make that right. I can say, listen, I, w- I was a jerk to you. I apologize. Please forgive me. I-, I will do my very best never to act that way towards you again. There are sometimes we get the opportunity to do that. It doesn't necessarily uh, take away the fact that we did it, but we do get a chance sometimes uh, to make those things right. But folks, that doesn't always eliminate the consequences. 
When we create consequences based on disobedience and sinfulness, folks, sometimes we don't get a chance to make those right. They just stay wrong forever. I've counseled family members, men that weep because they didn't make things right with their dad before their father passed away. Folks, we have got to understand that sin causes severe consequences for all of us. It does for Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. It's going to for us too. The last thing I want us to see today is this. God still works through sinful deeds to accomplish his divine purpose. Now we need to understand this because it may sound like, hey, then it's all okay, right? God's gonna do his thing even if I just commit sin all over the place. No, it's not what I'm saying. I wanna make sure that I'm clear. God never creates or causes sinful acts to happen. He just knows how to accomplish his will in spite of them. That's the difference. We as human beings, we chose, choose to go against God's word and his will, but he somehow can even use those poor choices to benefit, benefit us or others in some way. He just knows how to do that kind of stuff. And he's, he's so good at it. Even though every mem- family member in Isaac's family made really bad choices here, God still blessed Jacob the way he had planned to do all along. He still blessed him. He still carried with him the Abrahamic covenant. There just could have been a lot less painful way to accomplish it. You see, the reality is, as we go through the book of Genesis, another one of the big 30,000 foot truths is God is gonna do his thing. He is gonna do his will. We can either work with him or work against him. We can either get on board, do what he says, how he says, and be right in the midst of his will, or we can choose to fight against it and do our own thing. We can say, well, God, I know you said that, but I kind of know a better way. I'm gonna do it this way. Now, God's still gonna accomplish his will, but man, there's just a lot of heartache that comes with that. I can tell you that probably 80 to 90% of the heartache I've experienced in my whole life is self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted. Yeah, some things are just circumstantial and they just befall us. When you have a house fire or a tornado hits your house or something happens like that, you can't control that. It's not your fault. But man, there are many things that we just do to ourselves. And, and I want to encourage us, stop doing that. Let's let's do our best to stay in God's will, to do what he wants, to not bring consequences on our lives that we don't need to have. But perhaps the greatest example of this principle is the good news about Jesus. What mankind meant for evil, God meant for good, and God created good from it. Look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, men did what they thought was evil or what they thought they should do, but it was evil. They killed Jesus, who had committed no sin, who had done nothing wrong. 
But God used that for good. In fact, that was part of his plan. He didn't cause those men to do it. He didn't make them do it. Their human nature just caused them to do it. Their own sinfulness and willful sin caused them to do it. But folks, this is how God works. He takes all of our junk, all of our sinfulness, and he figures out a way to somehow help us if we'll just turn to him. The reality is that all of us are sinners. We can't do anything to stop sinning even slow it down on our own. We can't do much. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that if we put our faith and trust in what he did for us, instead of trying to work our way for something that we cannot gain, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins, we can have our sins forgiven. We can have a clean slate. And it's not a clean slate for a day that now gets messed up tomorrow. It's a clean slate that stays clean because God's forgiveness is forever. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, uh, do it today. Do it today. Because he has overcome, as we sang about, he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He is the victor. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. That's what Easter is all about. I want us to see from this passage that God is so sovereign. He's going to do his thing and he wants us to be involved with him if we will just yield ourselves to him and do that. Let's pray. Father, we come to the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us and leads us. Father, we're thankful for the truths in this passage. Help us to remember day by day that if our love is not enough to be uh, righteous before you, the understanding of consequences of our sinfulness should. But Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have a better understanding of who you are and what you have done for us, that we would be motivated truly by our love for you, by understanding and realizing what you have done for us and who you are to us. God, help us to just always strive to be in the center of your will, to seek you and to follow you and to just do the things that bring honor and glory to you. Help us to make you famous in our families, make you famous in our town, make you famous in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.